And while the children are going, can I just uh, invite the rest of you to please find your Bibles and open them to the book of Isaiah this morning. Isaiah, kind of a little bit past halfway in your Bible, you find Psalms, keep going a few more books, and you will find Isaiah chapter 12. Last week, I shared with you that it was on my heart to start the year off with two foundational sermons, or I should say two sermons on very foundational truths, things we need to be reminded of, I think at least once a year, two very fundamental ways that God calls us as Christians to live, trusting Him and loving one another. So last week we looked at that call to walk in love toward one another, especially as it gets worked out in forgiving one another and bearing with one another. And this week I want us to see from God's Word the call to trust Him, to walk, if I can use the same language as last week, to walk in trust, living our lives day to day actually actively trusting God such that we can live without fear. Doesn't that sound good? We can live without fear. Doesn't that sound right? I mean, given who he is and given the things that he's told us, we can trust him and not be afraid in this coming year. And that truth, that call to trust and to not be afraid is found throughout Scripture. A few weeks ago, you might remember this, I asked you if you knew what the single most frequently repeated phrase in the Bible is. I'd actually asked that question a number of times before in conversations with people, and the most common wrong answer that I heard was, fear not. And the reason that's the most common wrong answer is because it's pretty close to being the right answer. That phrase, fear not, is found over and over and over again in Scripture. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, I am the one who helps you. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Fear not, are you not more valuable than many sparrows? I mean, it's very clear that God does not want his children living in fear. And we need to realize there's a connection between that, fear not, and what is the right answer to that question that I asked. The phrase, fear not, is so common, God can say it so much because of something he has said even more often. The steadfast love of the Lord never fails. Because that is true, God can say, don't be afraid. Fear not. So you hear this wonderful truth in Scripture, trust God and do not be afraid. 
In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Psalm 56, 11. We hear that very same thing here in Isaiah chapter 12. And I thought it would be a good thing for us to hear that together at the beginning of a new year. So look with me now at Isaiah chapter 12. It's a beautiful chapter. You follow along as I read these six verses. This is God's word. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Well, let's make sure, as we always should, that we understand the context here. In chapter 11 of Isaiah, Isaiah is prophetically describing the coming day of the Lord. What God's promised one will set up, he'll set up this government of perfect righteousness and justice and peace. So Isaiah is talking about that future day, and notice again, how chapter 12 starts. You will say in that day. But even though this is talking about that future day, the fact is, this is the way God is with his people throughout history. In fact, I want you to see something very significant here. We're going to take what might at first feel like a little detour. Look back up at chapter 11, verse 15. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt which is the Red Sea. He will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and he will lead people across in sandals. Does that remind you of anything? So keep your finger here in Isaiah 12 and flip over, however you do that, in your iPods and your little gizmos. Flip over to Exodus 15. Keep your finger in 12, Isaiah 12, and flip over to Exodus 15. This is right after the Exodus itself, right after God has made a way through the Red Sea so that the people could walk through on dry ground in their sandals. And look at Exodus 15, verses 1 and 2. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Now notice this. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Does that sound like anything? Flip back to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So there, in Exodus chapter 15, is God's salvation past. Here, in Isaiah chapter 12, is God's salvation future. This is how God is 
with his people all throughout history. He is a rescuing, saving God. And this is exactly how he has been for us. Through Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we can say just as much, just as truthfully, just as joyfully, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. And that leads right into verse 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So what, what, is, what is that? These wells of salvation. Well, in his providing of salvation, God has opened up an inexhaustible supply of refreshment and provision for his people, this ongoing, ever-fresh supply. It's... It's actually, if you read your Bible carefully, it's actually himself. God is my salvation. God is my strength. God is my song, my source of joy. And God is inexhaustible. And he gives himself, and the supply never runs out. He pours out blessing. From his fullness we all receive grace upon grace. Springs of living water, as Jesus said. And the form that that comes in, you're going to see my logic for this morning's sermon here. The form that that comes in, this, this supply from these wells of salvation, at least one of the major forms it comes in, is his ongoing faithfulness to his promises. Please notice verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. Trust what? What do you trust? Well, you trust someone to do what they said they'd do. And you trust them because of something they've already done. They've demonstrated themselves to be trustworthy. You don't trust on the basis of nothing. I mean, I suppose you could, but that's not how we usually work. You trust because someone has given you some reason to trust, and God has given us great reason to trust him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You trust the second part of that verse because of the first part of that verse. How will he not graciously give us all things? Well, he who did not spare his own son demonstrates his ability and his willingness and his desire to pour out blessing on us. See, there is reason for us to trust and not be afraid. So here's what I want to do on this Sunday at the beginning of 2020. I, here's what I want to do on our anniversary Sunday when we celebrate 21 years. I want us to look at four promises from God this morning, things that he's said he'll do, that he wants us to trust in. Uh, these are not just randomly chosen. I chose these for a reason, but they are representative of hundreds more. God has many more promises. Peter speaks of them as his very great and precious promises. The Apostle Paul says, no matter how many promises God has made, I mean, clearly suggesting there's a lot, he says all of them are yes in Christ. So, 
If you are in Christ, these are for you. If you are not yet in Christ, Jesus calls and he says to you, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. But if you are in Christ, these are for you. So four promises. I'm just going to touch each one of them briefly. But four promises that God is calling us to actively trust so that we can live trusting God and not afraid. So promise number one for 2020 found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Just listen. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Did you hear that? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God promises to be with me all the time. All the time. What a precious thing this is to know that God is near. God is here. I'm not alone. He sees. He knows fully no matter what situation you're in. You're at a meeting at work. He's with you. You just hung up the phone after a hard conversation with a friend or a relative. He's with you. You're in the doctor's office waiting for some result. He's with you. You're driving down the road. You just feel as free as a bird because school is out. He's with you. You're lying in bed at night and you can't fall asleep. He's with you. You're lying in bed at night and you're sound asleep. He's with you. You're in the hospital room holding your brand new son or daughter. He's with you. You're sitting at the funeral of your mom or your dad. He's with you. I love the way that David captures this very point in Psalm 139. Just listen to this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What a comfort God means for us to feel from this. I mean, even in the most challenging of times, later in the book of Isaiah, we hear God say, Fear not, For I've redeemed you, I've called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fire, I am with you. Do you remember what David says in that that much-loved psalm, Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? for you are with me. So Christian, 
As you go into this new year, one thing you can count on. You are never alone. God is with you. He has promised you that. God is with me, so I will not be afraid. Second, promise number two for 2020 is found in Psalm 56, verse 9. David says very simply these words, This I know that God is for me. Promise number one, God is with me all the time. Promise number two, God is for me all the time. Again, the context is really important here. David, who wrote this psalm, is he's in a terrible, terrible situation. There are troubles in his kingdom. There are troubles in his house. He's had to flee for his life. I mean, just listen to this, Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. He wasn't just speaking metaphorically. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They're waiting for my life. You have kept count of my tossings. My tears are in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I called. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? David is resting in this truth about God. God is for me. And so he, God, will act and he will so control whatever happens in my life so as to secure my ultimate good. God is for me. You know, there are, there are many people, many Christians, who are guilty of misunderstanding what it means that God is for them. They think, well, if God is for me, then everything must go well in my life. Nothing bad can ever happen to me. Otherwise, God is not for me. God's not good. And then when God doesn't cooperate with our agenda, and my prayers aren't getting answered how I'd like them to be, and it's not clear why what's happening in my life is happening, we can say, well, pfft, so much for that promise. That promise isn't true. Forgetting that there may be other explanations for how things are going, the hardships and the challenges. Listen, God did not say he'd spare you from the fire and the flood. He said, I'll be with you in the fire and the flood. And Jesus said, I mean, you talk about promises. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But that fact does not undo this promise. God's promise to be for us always has the end in mind. If we're sinning, he's not just going to let us go. He'll discipline us for our good. If we need refining, he's not just going to leave us as we are. He'll prune and shape and refine us like gold. 
And he will make everything, he has promised to make everything work out for the good of those who love him. So Christian, as you walk into and through 2020 and you face hard things, even as you will experience good things, rest in this, trust in this. God is for me, so I will not be afraid. Third, promise number three for 2020. It's found in Romans chapter 8. Verse 32, Romans 8 may be the most promise-laden chapter in your Bible. If you, for some reason, someday find yourself banished to a desert island, and you only have time to rip one page out of your Bible, get the one with Romans 8 on it. I mean, listen to this incredible promise. This is Romans 8, verse 32. I've already quoted it this morning. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I simply could not preach on trusting God without somehow including this verse. Promise number one, Hebrews 13, 5, God is with me. Promise number two, Psalm 56, 9, God is for me. Promise number three, Romans 8, 32, God will supply everything I need. It reminds me so much of another promise, very similar to this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything I need to live the life that God calls me to live, he will supply. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That is a verse I regularly, consciously, actively trust in. Now notice, as it stands in your Bible, Romans 8.32 is in the form of a question. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And there's a question mark right in your Bible at the end of that verse. But when you read it rightly, when you hear it rightly, you can see clearly that it's not raising a question. It's making an assertion. In fact, it's making a promise. To feel the full weight of the promise, we need to understand the logic of Paul's argument. He is saying, he's saying, if God did this really costly thing, if God did this really hard thing, will he not certainly do the easier thing? If he did for you this thing that cost him so much, certainly he can do and will do for you that which costs him hardly anything. Paul is saying God giving his son for you is the clearest demonstration in the world. And purchasing your life giving you eternal life in that way. It's the clearest demonstration in the world. It should leave no doubt about his desire and his ability to provide for your needs, like help in the face of temptation. And real forgiveness when you sin. And not just real forgiveness, but the assurance of forgiveness. The guidance of the Holy Spirit Encouragement from other believers, instruction from his word on how to live, answers to your prayers, the presence and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, direct help in your time of need, strength when we ask for it, wisdom when we ask for it. Everything you need, how will he not graciously give us all these things? Listen, our daily life, I mean, just our ordinary daily life puts us in such need. 
Sometimes it can feel overwhelming. Sometimes it just feels normal, but we have needs. And so we need to learn to trust that God will supply, he will provide, and therefore we do not need to be afraid. All right, fourth. Promise number four for 2020 is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Now this kind of jumps in in the middle of a sentence. It'll make sense in a moment, but here's verses 8 and 9. Who will sustain you? He's talking about Jesus. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So promise number one, God is with you. Promise number two, God is for you. Promise number three, God will supply everything you need. Now promise number four, God will sustain you all the way to the end and all will be well. You know, as you read your Bible, you'll notice the Bible loves to talk about something coming, a day that is coming, the day that is going to usher us into eternity. And when it speaks about this life, the life we're living right now, which it does, it always has that life in mind. It wants us to be prepared for that life. So so we see this life as a preparation for eternity, and it just regularly reminds us that our lives, all of history, is moving toward that great culminating day when all people will stand before God and God will pronounce for each and every person a verdict regarding their eternal destiny. And the question that faces every person now is, what will God say on that day concerning me? Will it be, welcome home, enter into the joy that your heart has longed for all of your life, come on in? Or will it be, no, depart. You have no place here because you rejected my offer of salvation through my son. Listen, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should have life, should not perish, but have everlasting life. To all who received Christ and who believe on his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. So receiving plus believing equals becoming, belonging. We belong to God. He says, I've redeemed you. You are mine. And now God says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, now here's the promise, verse 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This blows my mind. I'm going to stand before God someday, guiltless, on the basis of what Christ has done for me. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It it might help us to remember which church it is that Paul is originally writing this to. It's the church in Corinth, which was far from perfect, filled with issues, filled with things that Paul needed to address, 
I mean, you talk about immaturity, you talk about dysfunctionality, you talk about sin in a church. I mean, their current behavior is anything but guiltless. So how could Paul say this? Well, he's very clear about the source of his confidence. Verse 9, God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What a promise. He will sustain you to the end guiltless. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. So, when I think about dying, and when I think about that day, standing before God, I do not need to be afraid. Friends, four great promises. If you are in Christ, these are spoken by God to you. And I just lay them out for you this morning and urge you to pick them up and put them here and put them here listen to these words from John Bunyan this is the man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress at one point he wrote a letter to a friend a Christian brother this is what he said I tell thee friend there are some promises that the Lord hath helped me lay hold of that I would not have out of the Bible for as much gold and silver as can lie between York and London piled to the skies. And I ask, how about you? Think about this. Which would you rather have? Nice house? Fancy stuff? Great health? All the money that can lie between here and Chicago piled to the skies? Or these? Very great and precious promises. You choose. Christian, do you know how rich you are? Do you realize what a supply of grace has been provided for you, promised to you? So... When you face whatever 2020 brings, whether it's kind of like dark and confusing or bright and cheery, where will you go? Well, God calls you to come and drink deeply and joyfully from the wells of salvation. God has in Christ opened up a source of blessing, an unending supply, and I want to live there this year. And I want you to live there this year. God means for us to draw from these wells, to drink deeply every day, trusting, actively trusting, drinking and letting the inflow of this good water enlarge our faith and wash away our fear. Well, let me close with this. There's, there's a little phrase in Psalm 4 that I have always found very intriguing. I read it again this past week. Here it is. Ponder in your heart on your bed. Ponder in your heart on your bed. So I ask you, what do you ponder when you're laying in bed at night? 
I know for me, I can ponder all kinds of things, kind of actively, purposefully ponder things like our family finances. I can, I can think about them. I turn them over and think about things. I can think of various relational situations. I can, I can replay or imagine. I can turn those things over. I can ponder things that I'd like to do in the future, places I'd like to go with Bev, things I'd like to do with my kids, places I'd like to go and explore on my own. May I suggest that for you and for me, here are some things to ponder in your hearts, on your bed. Here are some things to dwell on in your mind. Here are some things to meditate on and think about. God is with me all the time. Ponder that in your hearts, on your bed. God is for me all the time. God will provide everything I need. Ponder that in your heart, on your bed. God will sustain me all the way to the end and all will be well. So, I do not need to be afraid of anything. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust in him and not be afraid. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us so clearly. Thank you for these wonderful promises. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us now as we go from this place. I pray that we would not discard the Word of God and get on to other stuff. Um, Lord, there's things today tomorrow, throughout the week, that are going to occupy us as, as well they should. But God, I, I pray that we would reserve, preserve in our hearts and our minds places, the right places, for us to hold precious truth so that it shapes us and it does something. It helps us to trust. So God, I pray this for us now as a church. I pray it for myself. I pray it for the the people sitting here and those not able to be here today who might listen later on. God, help us to treasure truth about you so that we might walk in relationship with you, enjoying everything that you've given for us, all that you've brought to us in Christ. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.